This is React Podcast. I'm Chantastic. So you've spec'd out a killer component library. What tools do you use to keep it well maintained? Do you employ a mono repo for the task or use many repos? What is a mono repo? You've heard that Lerna is a thing, but is it a thing that will work for you? Is it something that can work if you publish more than just JavaScript? Once you've finished the design, there's still a ton of questions that aren't related to code. So today I sit down with John Rohan, engineer on the design systems team at GitHub. We talk tooling for component libraries and design systems. We discuss Figma, Lerna, GitHub Actions, and many more on our quest for the perfect designer-developer bridge. If you're tasked with implementing or maintaining your company's design system, guaranteed there's something in this episode for you. For links and notes, visit reactpodcast.com slash 48. This week's episode is made possible by Infinite Red, beautiful, functional web and mobile apps. Infinite Red wants to help bring your ideas to life. Got a completely new idea you want to share with the world? They can build it. Have an app that's all kinds of messed up and need help making it agile again? They can help you fix it. Use their expertise in design, mobile, React Native, Elixir, Phoenix, and Ruby on Rails to get your product on track. For limited time, get two tickets to Chain React Conf when you start a new project. Chain React is North America's only React Native conference. While you're there, you can meet the team and see what Infinite Red is all about. Don't have an app that needs building? Let Infinite Red help you build a thriving remote culture. Going remote takes more than passing out laptops and telling everyone to work from home. Communication is hard, and remote communication even harder. Without a solid strategy, you could lose the culture you worked so hard to create. Infinite Red knows the risks. They've taken the plunge, and they want to help you do the same. They wrote the Remote Work Handbook to help you create a thriving remote workplace without sacrificing culture. Download it for free at remote.infinite.red and take the road less commuted. Hey, John, how are you doing? Hey, pretty good. Good, good. Uh, I am super glad to have you on. Uh, I had Diana and Emily on a couple months ago who you work with. And um, they just mentioned you and the pieces of the uh, the GitHub uh, design systems team that y- that you had put together several times, and nice. so I was like, "Well, I, I got to get John on here now." <laughs> <laughs> so, um, so yeah, so that is uh, so that's why I wanted to talk with you today. For anyone who doesn't know, could you give us a summary of what it is that you do, where you do it, and why you love it? Um, yeah, so my name is John Rohan. Um, I'm on the design systems team at GitHub. Uh, I've been at GitHub for uh, seven and a half years. Um, I love working on the design systems team because uh, I'm an engineer who uh, cares a lot about developer tools, but I also um, love that intersection of engineering and design. And I feel like on the design systems team, I can um, sort of cross over those two worlds and bring them together. That's awesome. How so? Design systems as a team at GitHub is relatively new. Mm-hmm. Uh, what did that look like six years ago when you started? When I started, uh, <laughs> GitHub had one style sheet, if I remember correctly. No way. 
and it was just called screen.css, I think, or something like that. Um, immediately, like one of the first things we, I did was uh, we transitioned to uh, SAS and split up the um, split up the style sheet into like you know more functional parts and sort of like clean stuff up. Um, but the work back then was, you know, I mean, design system as a concept was never, not never really a thing back then, you know? So yeah. it was more like we were writing in a sort of um, object uh, CSS sort of way, you know, uh, and documenting it as we go. Um, uh, for the longest time, that was sort of just how things were going. And uh, we were just, like I was kind of like kicking out these components uh, that I mean components is the word we use now, but you know they're just <laughs> CSS objects. And um, Primer actually started before we had a, a design systems team, but uh, the primary use case there was that we have uh, we have Gist and we have GitHub, and they have like similar styles, but they're sort of like separate, and we wanted to be able to like port those to each other in a distributed way. So we started um, we started shipping primer externally so that we could do that easily. Nice. What led to the decision to open source that? Because um, obviously it's, you know, it's it's your work for GitHub. Mm-hmm. Um, but why uh, why open source that? Uh, you know, I mean, I like originally there was a lot of like back and forth and we're like, if we open source this, is like, are people going to just troll us and come like change things, you know? And um <laughs> We so we hired uh, Mark Otto, uh, who, if nobody knows, uh, helps create Bootstrap. <laughs> yeah, and um, we sort of consulted with him. We're like, Mark, you know, you run Bootstrap. Uh, what do you think about us um, open sourcing this? And uh, he pushed us into doing it pretty pretty uh, hard. So I, in the end, I think it was probably one of the best decisions and I, I'd encourage anybody out there, even if, even if you don't even like expect your front end to be written for anyone else, you know, or, you know, just open sourcing it and, and writing it for yourselves. It, it just removes barriers. So you're, you, you can work on it and your coworkers can work on it and you're not having to like, you know, grant people access to this thing or like, you know, um, make sure they have all the permissions and the levels set up. You just say, here it is. Here's some documentation. If you want to use it, if you want to contribute to it, that's great. Yeah, that is a huge benefit. I think one that goes, um, I guess, maybe unstated a lot in open source is that, you know, when you remove that access barrier, it's so much easier for, you know, the people who are working on it, who are using it to like throw stuff together. I mean, even if you were just to, you know, like do a code pen or a code sound sandbox to be able to, use all of those in that environment to just hack out an idea yeah um there's such a tremendous value there beyond kind of the uh i guess philosophy of open source yeah i mean uh just publishing it to npm and giving access that way like people can bring Mm -hmm. it into these other tools you know and they don't need us or our permission to sort of just like do that if they want to use primer and build uh prototyping stuff on code pen then it's easily accessible and they can do that you know yeah absolutely so you are the only person that i'm aware of that has um written a slam poem for their css uh, <laughs> framework that we've been building uh 
what what inspired that and do you feel like that's necessary for the success of like uh all css yeah. projects? i mean so early github um we would have summits right and we were so small that um sort of everyone had to talk on something you know and it was either like deep dive into something or just like have fun and talk about something. And uh, I sort of like to like push myself outside of my comfort zone. And I was like, wouldn't it be funny if I wrote a slam poem? (laughs) I sort of just like dared myself, you know, (laughs) it's a good dare. I I don't know if I would have been able to do that. That It was good. (laughs) We'll link it so that others can enjoy it. it, it, it's, It's real solid. So one thing that, um, that I wanted to ask you is that, You've been uh, doing like CSS for for 10 plus years, I believe. Mm -hmm. And um, a lot of that at scale, like working at GitHub during this huge kind of trajectory as they've become, you know, this big company they are today. What do you think of some of these like newer trends that that we're seeing in CSS Mm -hmm. in kind of like the CSS and JavaScript stuff? Um, Are you guys using that? uh, uh, The whole the whole gamut? Like how how do you how are things like that playing out at GitHub? Um, so we, we are currently building, um, primer components. Uh, I think Emily and uh, Diana probably talked about that last time, but, um, it, uh, I, I believe we're using uh, CSS and JS and, uh, I, I for one feel like it is definitely a good workflow for us as a design systems team. Um, the benefit I see with these frameworks and the way that, um, you know, you can come from the standpoint of like, oh, this is like garbage and CSS shouldn't be in JavaScript. But um, when you're when you're writing a component and you want it to be like encapsulated uh, like fully, you know, in that component, um, having the CSS right there with uh, the code uh, makes a lot of sense to me because like when you're writing at scale and, and you're, you know, you're writing these like style sheets that have these components, but you know, people can override them if they want. Um, people are going to override them and you're going to end up with mm-hmm. a huge mess whenever you want to refactor that stuff out. Um, I, I really like what react is doing in this, in the stance of like design systems and um, being able to fully contain those um, components. Uh, I also sort of, I don't know a lot about this uh, area, but I feel like uh, web components, uh, native web components are sort of doing a similar idea. Yeah, it does seem like a natural progression, you know, going from that idea of like one style sheet for your whole site, you know, as, as you came into GitHub with um, kind of breaking that down into kind of like logical you know, components or whatever you want to call them. And now kind of moving that into like, hey, this actually lives with the code the rest of the implementation code for how this thing gets on the screen um it seems like seems like kind of that logical step and it would be really great to see how that plays out in like web components or you know if kind of react is as far as we get (laughs) in (laughs) practice or 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 whatever it's great i I just i love all of it you know the direction that it's going is it feels like a natural evolution to me yeah absolutely um which uh, approach are you all taking in um the primer components um, as far as, uh, Oh, we, like, are you using a particular CSS in JS, uh, library to do that? Um, yeah, I, th- I believe we're still using, um, style system. Uh, and we sort of like bounce before between, um, using class names and using mm-hmm. like primer CSS and, and 
importing this the style sheet, uh, which we weren't super happy with because of the like I was talking about, like total style encapsulation. Um, mm-hmm. uh, we used emotion on an iteration to sort of kind of feel it out, um, and I think we settled on style system. Okay, killer. Killer. Yeah, I really want to have um, Brent Jackson on the show to talk about all that because I think that what he's doing really seems like a good direction for, for yeah. all that. And it seems to have the right ergonomics. I'll, wait, so I, I'm thinking about styled system with Brent. And uh, what the one with Max, uh, styled components? <laughs> oh, styled components. Right. Yeah. I'm sorry. Yeah. Okay, cool. No, no, no. no. <laughs> all these okay, names. Cool, cool. Yes. Yes. <laughs> Style components we're using. I, I mean, we did, we used, uh, and we probably are still using style system, but um, uh, cool, cool. when we're talking about what uh, like system we're using for styling the components, it's style components. Nice, nice. Uh, Max is great. Yeah. Um, so you guys have always been doing something really interesting with icons. I've... I've gained a tremendous uh, inspiration from the way that you have your icons workflow. Mm -hmm. Um, Icons are a pain in the ass, um, no matter how you do them. Uh, But I feel like, like you are getting it really, uh, really right. And I've really um, been excited to talk with you about how you're building icons. Um, Tell us about Octacons and kind of what you're doing to actually get them on all your platforms. Um, Yeah. Well, let me go back. Um, when I started, uh, I was part of the team that sort of pushed off the cons. Um, when I started, we were using fam, fam, fam. <laughs> we didn't actually even have our own icons. Uh, I don't know if you can dig up any screenshots, but like, <laughs> I think the founders like were using like, uh, for instance, on a private repo, it would be like the repo name and there'd be like a smiley face next to it from fan, 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 which made no sense. <laughs> but it was just like, eh, they don't have a private one. So we'll just put this one here. Uh, and they were looking, you know, they're very dated and uh, right about that time uh, screens started getting retina, you know? Um, mm-hmm. So we started talking about trying to make some that were, um, you know, infinitely portable and scalable. And we looked at a lot of options with uh, SVG at first. And uh, originally what we did was uh, created a whole set in uh, font icon. Okay. Um, we felt like the support for what we wanted to do, font icons were the best choice at the time. Um, and they worked pretty well, but there's a lot of like accessibility problems and there's some mm-hmm. like, you know, there's time when the font is loading and stuff that the page kind of jumps around. So uh, we ported them again to SVG set. Uh, and um, I, I was involved in both of those. But uh, now currently what they are is they're a set of SVG icons. Um, the source lives on Figma. And the library uh, sort of imports that that um, those images from Figma automatically and pipelines it out to um, whatever um, language or like system you want to use them in. So the library is kind of this conduit of um, it can, there's a Ruby version, there's a Rails version, there's a React version, and there's a JavaScript version. And you can take those libraries and they have all the same data, same set of icons, and you can use them in your site. 
Interesting. So do they have, so do you have a different, so you have the SVG source, those, um, those designs live in Figma, mm-hmm. but then you build it out to like three different targets. Is that how I'm understanding it? Yeah. So, well, there's one repo and it's actually a mono repo too. And we can go and dive into this in detail, but, uh, the one repo pulls it down, uh, and it, uh, sort of tidies up the SVG. And, um, then, the other repos grab that content and ship it to uh, like NPM or Ruby gems with the SVG with it. So um, then when people want to use those libraries, they get the new version. It has the full set of icons and they can use whatever ones they want. That's crazy. So that's fully, you've fully automated all that then. Yeah. Yeah. Nice. So what are you using to, um, to, to build those or like what's, what's acting as the bridge to uh, between Figma and um, all of those platforms. Um, so uh, we we do all that building on um, on pull requests and on master. And the things that are powering that right now is GitHub Actions. Um, okay. I mean, but in, in theory, it could be uh, any CI service. But I, I'm I'm particularly partial to GitHub Actions. <laughs> <laughs> That's interesting. So uh, for anyone who's not familiar, and myself included, actually, um, describe to me GitHub Actions, because they're a relatively new feature, at least publicly. Mm-hmm. Um, and what is the, what's the role they fit in, in that development cycle? So the, the sort of like um, high-level version of it is uh, it's a workflow flow tool for your re- repos. And um, what you can do is hook up your hook up your pull requests so that when somebody submits code, you can run um, specific actions on that code. And then you can string together those actions in such a way that like if one action does something, then the next one can sort of um, pick up that work and do more. Oh, interesting. Um, it's it's really interesting to me because each each one of these actions is like a, a Docker container uh, and um which makes it very like self-contained and you can have like mm-hmm. one action be a node action that does some work and then another action be a shell action that just like runs some shell script and then the next action be whatever other language, Go or Ruby, or whatever you want to write. And um, they all can sort of work seamlessly together. And then, and then on top of all that, the sort of icing on the cake is we've written it in such a way that like, Anybody can share their actions with other people. So if you mm. have an action in a repo, you can publish it to the marketplace. And then like anybody can use that action the same way that I am uh, in this open source space. Nice, nice. Now you've actually just published actions for what you're doing with icons, right? Or octicons? Yeah, so I, I created a Figma action uh, that uh, is, I tried to generic it up a little bit more than it was, but um, it is an action that you give it a Figma file, like just a URL to a file, and it and it goes and grabs all the components from that file and exports them in the format. You, like they support three different formats for exporting. So they export mm-hmm. uh, PNG, JPEG, and uh, SVG. So you can just pick one of those formats and say, um, get all the components from this file and put it in this folder for me. And... Um, it'll just do that and run. And then the next action you have, you could like move those files somewhere or like, Oh, you know, ship them to NPM, which is what I'm doing with, uh, with Octacons. 
Nice. That sounds that sounds amazing. So you can run the whole, uh, I guess, like with your uh, GitHub Actions, and, and what are they called again? Yeah, I well, I called it Figma Action. <laughs> okay, cool. Super generic. Uh, <laughs> so you can use that to uh, effectively do like the whole like pipeline from like, hey, grab all of these SV or grab all of these images mm-hmm. from my Figma file, mm-hmm. uh, run some process or take the export, and then put them wherever. Yeah, you can just like put them in this directory, and then the next action would be like, oh, okay, here's some files, you know. Um, That's awesome. You could do that with like, I mean, say somebody had like um, screen prototypes on a Figma file, mm-hmm. you know, you could export those, and um, you could have a second action take those images and like post them to the PR if you want, which is really like mind blowing, you know, and kind of awesome. Yeah, that's crazy. So you could see like which ones changed in a PR effectively. Yeah, I um, yeah, I believe like you know, <laughs> the opportunities are endless, right? <laughs> uh, what we actually do too, which is really rad for our workflow, is um, anybody who submits a PR to uh, Octocons uh, will publish like an uh, like a unstable alpha version for that. Um, oh, okay. And it's really critical to us because we want like any contributors to come in. Um, and get a version that they can then test like in whatever system that they're using. Sure. So you could come in and um, submit a URL to uh, the action uh, workflow file. Like you could change it to like, okay, here's my new set of icons. (laughs) Mm -hmm. And it would run that process and be like, okay, here's your alpha version. You want to go try that out? That's crazy. So that kind of goes back to that idea of like being able to like prototype pretty quickly, like to be able mm-hmm. to have those icons available to kind of move forward while that discussion is happening. Yeah. I mean, so we don't want to be the blocker of somebody like testing out a new icon, right? So like we just give them the tools, the designer will design something and then they only really have to change one line in Octacons and then they can have a, like they can update their library and see that in action before we even wake up for the morning you know that's that's awesome uh do you feel like this these types of solutions are kind of like birthed out of that asynchronous style of like github like do you feel like you'd have even a need for this if you worked at a company that was like all in the same time zone all like working in the same table uh i I mean i'd like to think that it'd be useful for anybody you know Mm -hmm. um nobody sort of likes to be, or maybe some people do, but um, those remedial you know, tasks that can just be done by robots, you know? I, I mean, <laughs> we're all engineers because we want to do something, like like we want to just engineer a solution to like do something for us, right? <laughs> or at least that's totally. why I became an engineer. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's one thing that I've always found inspiring about your team specifically is, is that you have these really good ways to, uh, let's see, these really good ways of like building up tools that um, I guess maybe are like respectful of like the other developers on the project. I think Mm -hmm. a lot of times you see like, hey, this is the design system. Like it is your God. We've handed, like we've crafted it and handed it down to you. You must use it, never break it. Mm -hmm. Um, But I really like this mentality of being able to put tools in place for people to like to empower people, right? Like to come in under them or like alongside them and be like, okay, this is like, this is how you start. And then like, you know, get going. And then we can kind of have the discussion 
along the way of like what needs to change, you know, what could be better uh, if we want to integrate this icon, et cetera, et cetera. And that's, that's something I've always admired about the way that, that you all work. Yeah. That's our, our philosophy is like, um, you know, we don't ever want to um, stop somebody from doing something and we want to just put the tools in place that they can do more quickly. And then we can have discussion about, um, whether we need to incorporate it or if they want to use something else, you know, those, those mechanisms are there and it all goes back into um, the pull request, which is like the number one space, right? <laughs> exactly. Um, has that always been a cultural value for your team or is that something that you, uh, you know, can, was birthed out of pain in the opposite direction? Uh, I, I like to think that it's been a cultural value at GitHub since the beginning, you know, um, it's always sort of kind of like it's works like a open source company in some ways mm -hmm. where like a lot of people were sort of building these separate parts, but there was a lot of like crossover and uh, um, integration between people so that they could, um, contribute to each other or, you know, somebody would be like, Hey, I have these skills, uh, and I noticed you're working on something, completely different, but I'd like to contribute, you know, uh, there was nothing stopping people from doing that, like since the beginning. You know? And I, I feel like that sort of mentality has persisted at GitHub, even though we're a thousand plus company now. That's crazy. It's crazy. Um, you mentioned a mono repo. Um, what does that mean? Look, what does that mean for, for you and your team? Um, I feel like it's one of those big words that has like <laughs> just this, this really fluid definition. <laughs> so what does it mean for, uh, for the design systems team? Um, so for us, uh, the reason we built it, and this might be the definition of it, but um, this is what makes sense to me. Uh, we wanted somewhere where we could like share the Git history, but... Um, we wanted to be able to uh, publish separate packages, you know, and we, we waffled back and forth between having like multiple repos, but that was just like uh, too hard to manage for such a small team, you know? Yeah. Uh, so we ended up going with a mono repo where um, it was all the stuff was sort of encapsulated in one, but at publish time, all these different folders were kind of like um, published out to their respective package Sure, sure. Um, registries. And so the value for that is that you kind of have like one development environment, one like set of dependencies, uh, like one project to work in. Yeah. Um, and then the, like you said before, like you just kind of let the robots handle the, like putting it in the places that it need, needs right, to be. Right, right. Yeah, you set up the, you set up the workflows and robots do all that extra heavy lifting for you, you know? Nice. Nice. Um, did you use a tool for that or is it kind of like all, uh, homegrown in-house or like an open source tool? Sorry. Yeah. So we were, we were using Lerna for, uh, I think a year, uh, or so. Um, but we, we recently transitioned away from Lerna. Um, and not that we didn't like the tool or anything, but, um, we, we changed the way we develop primer CSS in that, uh, originally we were sort of shipping all these small packages for each like component, you know, I mean, they were like CSS components, but we, the way we sort of like broke it down was like, um, maybe somebody doesn't want all of primer maybe they just want like primer markdown or primer mm. buttons. So we sort of like separated that out and published them um, separately. Uh, 
But that was a little bit of extra overhead for us. And we determined that like it probably wasn't really worth it in the end, you know? So we kind of combined everything back in. Um, and we're, we're working that way now. Uh, Octacons, Octacons is technically still a monorepo though. Um, and it's interesting in the fact that uh, it, there's two different like package managers going on there. There's Ruby gems and there's mm-hmm. uh, JS, which is uh, two different worlds, you know? Yeah, that's interesting. I guess that's one thing that I'd not really ever thought about is that I think a lot of packages are kind of homogenous or a lot of monorepos are kind of homogenous in terms of the language that they're using or the, like you said, the package um, or whatever those things are called the like have have all the the names of the packages mm-hmm. um you know like they're they're publishing everything to npm um but like a, a javascript tool might break down in the situation that you have where you have you know you're publishing to ruby gems and npm and you know maybe doing something else as, as well yeah yeah so are are you using github actions then to uh to do all that yeah so we we recently rewrote it um to uh, use GitHub Actions to uh, take care of that, and like I said, like the Figma action grabs the the image files, you know, um, and then runs tests on all of the separate packages, and then in each separate package has an action that um, just publishes it to where it needs to go after everything's checked, you know. Killer. So, uh, if you had to estimate, obviously GitHub's getting really big now. How many individual teams are actually consuming the packages that you all are are, are making, or any any one of them? Oh, um, I don't really have like <laughs> concrete numbers on those. It's pretty. It's actually surprising sometimes when people come to us and they're like, "Hey, I use Primer for such and such," and I was like, "That's <laughs> awesome," you know. <laughs> but uh, yeah, I we're we're starting to try to track that a little bit more now um, with uh, coverage, but. Uh, we we've sort of just been like you know here you go <laughs> yeah yeah, yeah. It, we're, we're we're technically writing it for us you know and and we're using it on github.com and some uh internal tools but um you know because it's open other people are using it for other github tools and it's always yeah a delight to find out what people are using it for that's awesome. How many, uh, I guess, like public uh, properties are there for GitHub? Obviously, there's GitHub.com. Mm-hmm. Um, you guys are doing GIS. Um, yeah. w- are, are there any other ones that, that these tools service? I believe the blog uses some primer styles, uh, and that's a separate uh, server. And then we have our help sites, like all our documentation support sites. Mm-hmm. Those are using um, Primer. Uh, and then we have um, some marketing pages. Uh, typically, if we're like throwing some kind of event or something, we'll, we'll like put up a page really fast. And um, usually that's Primer. And they'll like start with Primer and kind of like modify it to fit the theme of whatever event's going on. Interesting. Have you tinkered around with Primer or Octacons? I mean, have you pulled them down? And- yeah, yeah. Actually, I have. I've, I've actually... Um- specifically have been looking a lot at the the way that you guys have managed icons because we recently did a transition um toward svg and all of the resources that that you'd provided on that were were super helpful um in terms of because we were doing the icon font thing for a while as well uh and it just like you said it got totally untenable with like as you know, retina screens like became more popular, and then also we were thinking more about accessibility. Um, just there were just so many things that were like kind of a big, 
a big mess. <laughs> and, um, and yeah, so we've been able to, I, I don't know how long we've been on it, but um, we've been doing serving SVGs for icons for, I don't know, uh, maybe a year and a half, I guess. Nice. Um, which has been fun. And, and uh, we're actually even spriting them, which is, uh, which is really nice. Um, oh yeah. Yeah. That's something that was sort of like, we want to look at this, uh, but <laughs> when we switched to SVG, it wasn't like it wasn't fully supported in IE, and we were kind of hesitant to like go that direction. Yeah. Uh, what we the route we took was to write a helper, and the thought is is like, hey, we can switch it out at some point to to be a sprite rather than like injecting SVG. Yeah. And, you know, nobody's going to have to, like, update their code, right? Totally, totally. Um, so you did that on the on the Rails side of things? Yeah, yeah. So nice. we wrote a Rails helper class, and, you know, nobody has to remember, like, long strings of, like, SVG code. They just say, I want an octagon of a uh, issue icon, you know, and they just put it there, and the Rails helper does the rest. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Man, it's really nice. I feel like that is like a perfect example of like good abstraction. <laughs> you know, like everyone's like trying to get like these like perfect abstractions. But I feel like that is like one of those perfect ones where like we don't know what the future is, but like we're going to use icons. So use this thing and then you're kind of like kind of ensured that like we'll make the future smooth for you. And and I mean, let's talk about the transition uh, to where we are now with Figma. Um, there was a time, well, when it was a font, you know, the file kind of lived on someone's computer and, you know, he would have to, yeah, he'd have to export. Uh, I think he exported SVG, but then he fed that into font forge and then ran some like very customized scripts and that sure. like shot out that file. Um, we, there was a transitional period where we had it in sketch, okay, uh, which is a great tool. Uh, but, um, there's a lot of friction with having it in sketch because, like we were storing it in this repo and you either like, so designers who had the sketch app, you know, they would want to go get this file and they'd have to like clone a repo and make sure it's up to date. <laughs> get a license to sketch. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, so like the designers might have it right already. Yeah, so yeah. That's one target audience. Right. Uh, and, but we have to like describe like how to, you know, make sure your repo is up to date and like, Sure. If there's any merge conflicts, I'm sorry. <laughs> um, so that was tough. And then there's also a whole subset of people who wanted some icons, but um, maybe they don't even have Sketch or don't even care to have it. You know, they're like, I just want these icons. Like, where are they? You know, um, so Figma comes in and uh, I feel like it's a great, um, tool for storing those things because uh, anybody with a URL can go and, and export those files and um, they don't need special software. You don't need like to be on a Mac specifically, uh, mm -hmm. it could be on Windows or whatever, and you can just get these files and they're the exact same files that are in production, you know? Yeah, we've kind of following your lead started to l investigate Figma and um, man, it's been, there's been these really nice workflow things that like I didn't really anticipate in like having a uh, like a graphical editor in the browser um, but I find myself a lot of times you know like I'll be in an environment where I 
just hit like command T in my browser and like open up that file, right? Which is like such a mm-hmm. different workflow than, you know, getting it, you know, opening up an app to like to do that. Yeah. But it's like, it's kind of like delightful. I mean, especially for getting colors. Like if I'm in my browser working on, you know, my app anyway, to just be able to like command T and like snatch colors out of it. It's like, it's great. Kind of amazing. I love this. I love this uh, sort of way that we're moving as an industry with designers and, you know, it's like, I mean, it, I still feel like there's a long way to go. And and for any developer that's sort of like seen the, um, what GitHub can do for development workflow, I feel like there's still yeah. so much to grow in the design workflow. And we're sort of like, we're, we're, we've come a long way, right? I mean, like having Absolutely. a Figma file and, and like prototyping it for, you know, some room of developers or product people with just like a URL doing it remotely is amazing right yeah and a lot of people actually use it for presentations too you know it's just like so easy to be like here look at this <laughs> yeah yeah it's so cool um how has your experience been uh using the api is it pretty intuitive yeah yeah uh there it's it's pretty it's it's pretty fresh i mean like you know there's like only a few endpoints but uh i i think they're doing a great job with um like the direction and f- mm-hmm. as far as like um, trying to determine what people need the most uh, with the API. Um, there's a lot of stuff you can do on there and, and a lot of information you can get from it just on yeah. a single file, which is pretty rad. Yeah, it seems like a really ambitious project to take on, but I'm glad they're taking it on because I, I think that it really marries a lot of the designer developer relationship in a way that we have been able to maybe piece together a little bit, but have never really had in a fully integrated way. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, even just like think about five years ago when like everything was in Photoshop and and sketch was (laughs) coming around and sketch is a better web designing tool, but um, both of those formats, you you can't, you can't like write a node package just kind of like to slice them up. Right. You have to like get in the, app and and export it you know yeah yeah no matter what that was always going to be a manual process yeah yeah that's awesome well cool i really appreciate you uh you talking with uh, talking about this with all of me it's been it's been super fun um where can people find more about you more about what you're doing uh or kind of chat with you about uh how to how to start bringing this stuff to their apps yeah so find me on twitter it's uh you know, my username is John Rohan, J-O-N-R-O-H-A-N. Um, you can uh, check out all the work that the design systems team at GitHub's doing at uh, primer.style. Uh, we have a lot, we try to throw all that stuff up there. Uh, you can also check out our org on GitHub, github.com slash primer. And um, I think once a month we are doing sort of a spectrum chat, like uh, free for all oh, questions. Cool. So if you want to come to the Primer Spectrum channel and ask us a question, then uh, we'll be happy to sort of answer. Nice. Putting that uh, that GitHub Spectrum.chat relationship to use now. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> awesome. Awesome. Well, thank you so much again, John. I really appreciate you taking the time to be on the show. Oh, it's been a pleasure. Thanks for inviting me. Thanks for listening to this episode of React Podcast. Again, links and show notes are available at reactpodcast.com slash 48. 
As you go, remember to explore. As I listened back to this chat with John, I was impressed by the way that they embrace new technology that fits their needs. As a team, they aren't overwhelmed by it, but eager to see how it can improve the lives of their teammates. Now, this doesn't mean that you have to address every single trend that pops up on Hacker News. But every once in a while, there's that perfect piece of tech that will help you do your job even better. Keep an open eye out for it. Thanks again to Infinite Red for sponsoring this episode. Download the Remote Work Handbook at remote.infinite.red. That's remote.infinite.red. If you start a new project with them, mention React Podcast for two tickets to this year's Chain React Conference in Portland. It's on track to sell out, so it'll be a hot ticket pretty soon. Find out more about their services and what they do at infinite.red. This episode of React Podcast was edited by Mikhail Delport. It was produced by Mikhail Delport and Sarah Jackson. You can find React Podcast on Spec, a network to help designers and developers level up. Visit spec.fm to find other shows that will take you further in your career. Help us out by reviewing this show on iTunes. Your reviews help the show grow and help us ensure great guests and awesome content week to week. To join the discussion, visit reactpodcast.com slash chat or follow us on Twitter at React Podcast. I'm at Chantastic. To stay out of the discussion but get updates, visit reactpodcast.com slash news and sign up for emails. Thanks so much for giving us your attention. We'll be in your ears again next week. Thank you.